Welcome once again, friends, to another episode of the Lore Entertainment Podcast. I'm Andrew Southwick, once again joined by Lore Executive, and as you already know, as we already talked about, the Grand Poobah of all things theology and entertainment, and boy, are we going to combine those here on this episode, Mr. John Speed. John, welcome back to the show. Great to be back, man. All right. Well, let's get right into this. We have a lot going on. We we know there's a there's a strike going on. I don't know if you've heard of that recently. Uh, the the Writers Guild, of course, that's been going since May. SAG just joined in, and it is an entire mess. First, I've got I've got a few stories I want to run down with you on this episode. But first, what do you see from the strike? Do you see the 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 model of Hollywood changing or what changes as a result of this and how do you think lure is positioned well to benefit, not necessarily from the strike. I, I don't, you know, I certainly don't want people to be out of work, but we're in a position maybe to, to, to fill a vacuum, avoid and possibly establish, establish a parallel, a parallel platform, a parallel production model. How do you see these things shaking out? I think the primary thing that I've been thinking about in regards to this is the fact that the contracts are the main issue, right? They're negotiating contracts, especially with the actors. Um, as I'm thinking about that aspect of it, uh, they're, they're really haggling over this issue of their likenesses. Like, you know, what can you do with my likeness? Am I signing this thing over in perpetuity? to you, which really, honestly, that's what most entertainment contracts do, whether you're talking about music or film, whatever, you're signing over your image. Um, Sometimes these contracts are worded like in this universe and in any other universe that's out there that we don't know about. And um, with the issue of AI in particular, you know, with, um, with Hollywood, they're able to take now with AI, they can they can take people's images. And the concern is, you know, you're going to buy my likeness, but I'm not going to get paid for it when you take it and throw it up on a, on a film. And, uh, you know, <laughs> how where's my representation for this? Um, you saw it in. Uh, this in that one Star Wars film, uh, Rogue One, where they brought Carrie Fisher back <laughs> and yeah. uh, from the dead, right? And, and Grand Moff Tarkenton, the uh, Peter, I forget his name, Peter something, right? That yeah, they did it a couple of places there, and they've and they've done it with other things. If you really think back, it really kind of started all the way back with Forrest Gump. I remember when. Forrest Gump came out and they were doing all those different things like Nixon and Kennedy and all that was nowhere near as sophisticated, but they were doing it. And so the issue of the contracts from the creator standpoint, lore is positioned well, (laughs) I mean, as well as you can be positioned um, to deal with content creators and say, listen, we are, we're not interested in taking your IP. We're not looking at buying your intellectual property and then using it in perpetuity. We, we, the contract has a set period of time uh, for when we have their project. And then at the end of that funding period and streaming period where we have exclusive, they get the entire project back and, it's theirs. Nobody yeah. offers this anywhere in the industry. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about 
Christian film. It doesn't matter if you're talking about Hollywood. Uh, some of the lawyers for some of the folks that signed contracts with us were like, you have to take this. <laughs> you're not going to get anything better than this from anyone else. And so, um, yeah, I think we're, we're positioned on that front better than anybody. How do you think that's going to benefit the consumer? Because, you know, at the end of the day, people got to open up their wallets and pay for the product, right? Now, we know that we pay Netflix and we, you know, we've talked about that on previous episodes. You can pay for them and they'll produce stuff. Some of it you'll like, some of it you won't, whatever. We have a different funding platform. We have a different membership platform with Lore. But how will... How will these things benefit the consumer? And and then again, it's kind of the same question, but more toward more toward lure subscribers. How does lure's positioning? How is that going to give lure an advantage coming out of all this hullabaloo that the consumer is going to be able to feel and recognize in the value of their subscription dollars? Well, in general, competition always benefits the consumer as well as the you know manufacturer. Right? Um, you have more options. And uh, if Laura is doing well as a platform, we're just going to be providing more options. There's more competition that creates a better, uh, better product. It's pure capitalism in that respect. And so um, I think as it, what it does is because of our funding model, you are the, the content that's better the content that's well-produced that as a good story and that sort of thing. Those are the projects they're going to win. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, that's pure capitalism. Uh, that is going to benefit everybody. And it's going to push the industry forward as we get traction, as we continue to grow. Um, we've, I think we've already seen, I don't want to be too big for my britches as they used to say, <laughs> but I think we've already seen some of our messaging, and our influence over the last couple of years within the faith-based market, it's pushing people to do better work. Yeah. And as we continue to flesh that out with actual projects being funded and we can scale up to do bigger and bigger projects, that's going to benefit the consumer greatly. We want to create something that's going to seriously compete with Hollywood. I know it's insane to say it. People have been telling us we're crazy from day one to even breathe a suggestion that we could challenge them. But the fact is the, we're talking about the model and the model scales out. It's a far better funding process. It's a purely capitalistic process, better for the content creator, better for the consumer um for lore subscribers in particular i think what you're going to see happen and we've already seen it happen with people signing contracts with us mm -hmm. when you're talking about like i don't know the guy who made powerpuff girls and nickelodeon's loud house right yeah. <laughs> yeah. With this no-name bunch of weirdos like us um that that's already proving the concept, right? When you got Tim Engel, who worked on Phineas and Ferb, and he did Mickey Mouse Club in the past, and Inspector Gadget, and he's working with us, and we and some of the other people that we haven't even signed contracts with, but who are taking us very seriously. Um, it's when you, you don't you don't those people don't even spend any time with you if they don't think it's valuable. They, they're in the industry, they're and in the and they're in the upper crust in their craft in in media and in in content creation. And so not only does that excuse me, not only does that lend credibility 
to lore and the product, which then the consumer will benefit from. But also it's, it's another, uh, it's another vote of confidence. Like, you know, the Hollywood system isn't the only way to do this and we can produce absolutely high quality material, great storytelling and with, and not, not miss a beat with production. I mean, we've seen some of the productions already. Some of the, I'm working on getting, I haven't, uh, we haven't, we're trying to find out the date, but Cody Halford doing the Salter and uh, you can see the production values there. We've already seen, you uh, well, barely biblical. We've, we've, we've uh, talked about that with Tim Engel, you just mentioned. So it's not, it's not independent. Doesn't necessarily mean, you know, eight millimeter or handheld over the shoulder okay. independent is there's a lot more room in that ind- independent space. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Well, some of the greatest people that are out there right now in film are people that started off in the independent space. I mean, people forget this, but George Lucas and uh, Spielberg mm-hmm. and uh, Hughes and all those guys in the eighties, seventies and eighties coming up. I mean, they, the studios really didn't want hardly anything to do with them early on. And then yeah. they went out and did it independently. And now that nobody will even remembers all the Jim Henson, you know, I mean, yeah. these people were all geniuses and it's, it's the same way. It's like education, right? Like uh, public school education. Everybody's like, well, you know, you got to go to public school. You're not gonna be successful. Tell it to Einstein who couldn't pay attention. Yep. Class. Because yeah. He was brilliant. It's the same scenario. You're talking about filmmakers who are so brilliant. The studios are afraid of them. And there are people like that. Now it hasn't changed. There's still people that didn't go to film school that have been playing around with <laughs> digital cameras <laughs> and their iPhones. And uh, I'm not, <laughs> that's not the quality you're looking for, but they learned that way. Yeah. And, um, you know, those those people uh, deserve to have a platform where they can fund their their visionary type stuff and have it distributed. So, yeah, that's one of the things I'm most that's the part of this I'm most excited about. Well, let me get to some of the stories here. This first one you're going to see on the screen next to us. This comes from BBC.com and title of it here, Netflix touts 900,000 in AI jobs and Hollywood strikes. I want to ask how scared are you of AI and, and how how much impact do you think AI is really going to have on Hollywood? And I'll say this to set this up. I think AI can do some things, but when it comes to, it's, it's kind of the same argument like with 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 evolution, right? And people that, that believe in evolution, I don't, we don't, you don't, I don't think, I hope not, but the, you know, evolution is a, is an attempt. Well, first of all, to deny God, but also to say where, where physical life came from. Right. But it doesn't, it doesn't answer the question. Well, where did love come from? Where did hate, right, wrong, righteousness, wickedness, good, evil, depression, joy, sadness, happiness, all these kinds of things. There's nothing to quantify that because that's all part of God's image. And we can't create God's image. We can't put it into something that doesn't have it already. That's for God to give. And he gave it through humanity. So I'm, I think their AI is going to be limited, but I want to go through a little bit of this article here because maybe, maybe there is something to it. It says here, the, uh, the new position, it's advertising, Netflix advertising a new position that would join its machine learning platform team, which drives the Netflix algorithm, helping viewers pick new programs to watch. 
Hollywood unions are striking over concerns about how AI affects the entertainment and industry. The job listing was first reported by The Intercept on Tuesday as one of several listed on the Netflix job page, which calls for applicants with experience in uh, machine learning, ML, or AI, artificial intelligence. Uh, another list, another open listing for a product manager on the machine learning platform team says the future employee will collect feedback and understand user needs. Quote from, uh, I believe it's Fran Drescher told, uh, speaking with Time Magazine, algorithms dictate how many episodes a season needs to be before you reach a plateau of new subscribers and how many seasons a series needs to be on uh, in total. So that reduces the amount of episodes per season to between six and 10. It reduces the amount of seasons to three or four. And you can't live on that. She's speaking about making a living as an actor or actress. Uh, we're being systematically squeezed out of our livelihood by a business model that was foisted upon us that has created a myriad of problems for everyone up and down the ladder. The WGA, the Writers Guild, has proposed a system that regulates the use of AI in the writing process and prevents it from being used as source material. John, are you as scared as Fran Drescher and, and the WGA about AI? You know, anytime there's a, a development in the tech world, the, um, the old school folks are always going to react. And I, I do agree, like there's issues. I'm not saying there's not issues. In fact, I'll be writing about this for Lore uh, probably over the weekend. There's issues, especially with likenesses and all that sort of stuff like we've already mentioned. Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember, well, <laughs> I'm dating myself here, but <laughs> in the 90s when, um, you know, the Internet was really taking off. I've, I've sold used and rare books for about 30 years. And I started right as the Internet was taking off as a mechanism to sell uh, used and rare books on. And I remember the book dealers of that time really freaking out because they were concerned that this was going to change the industry. And the truth is it did. It did change the industry. And what it revealed was that there were a lot of books that people were selling for like a hundred dollars that were probably worth like $10. Right. And it, it revealed the true supply and demand. And then they had to flex. And now there's not a book dealer around who doesn't have an account like on Amazon or uh, abooks.com or something like that. They learn to flex. They learn to adjust to the you and actually use the technology to help. I think that's going to be the key. I think they're going to have to learn how to use the technology. So I, I think there's that possibility. I don't want to write it off completely. My one concern about AI, and it's been this way for a couple of years now, for me is whenever you're dealing with um, the technology, you're talking about computers and programming and algorithms, all of that is driven by the presuppositions of the person who's writing the code. You know what I mean? Yeah, you have you, you, you the algorithms are only as smart as the programmer who is putting in the algorithms. And so it's learning right. based on that person's intellect, but also that person's biases. I mean, we, biases. you, you right. can see that with Google search engines, for example. And yeah. you, there, there were examples of AI scripts that were being written. And, and they were even on, these are on political lines, but I mean, it's an example right. where typing into chat GPT, 
I want you to write a hit piece on Joe Biden. And the answer was, and I'm paraphrasing, the answer was, well, we don't want to disrespect the office of the presidency and blah, blah, blah. But write a hit piece on Trump and you've got a 300 page novel and, you know, a script ready for production for Amazon original documentaries. Yeah. So, you know, the, you the the the. And we all have biases, but that's an awful lot of control to have, especially if you're going to be depending on it as a as a source engine. Right. And that's my biggest concern, you know, and then the people have pointed out to the fact that AI has a tendency to just lie about things. <laughs> so, like, I, I found this out myself. I decided it would be fun. I don't remember which blog it was. I wrote a blog for Lord. I think it's in the title, something about. AI wrote this or whatever. And um, I, I basically just fed the, the parameters in and I had it write a blog about, oh, I don't even remember what show it was now. <laughs> and and the AI is saying stuff like, in an interview with Lore.TV, this uh, famous actor <laughs> said this thing. Well, there's no interview. I know. <laughs> like, I can't really use that, you know? And yeah. um, it's that kind of stuff too. You know, uh, when you're talking about the artificial intelligence side of it, so on one hand, you got the presuppositions of the programmer, the coder, whatever. And then on the other hand, if the AI just starts kind of has no moral compass and just starts making garbage up about things. I mean, there's reasons to be concerned about AI. I get it. But I also think that in terms of the tech, it could be used. But, man, it's going to depend on the human you know, the programmer and the moral, that's why Marcus, I've talked a lot about this. That's why young people need to be doing code. <laughs> they need to, you know, in the kingdom, we need a bunch of people who know how AI works and how robotics work. And they need to be taking STEM classes. You know, the homeschool kids ought to be doing STEM at home, getting involved in the maker movement and stuff like this so that, so that they can end up at MIT writing the code from a biblical yeah. worldview. Yeah, we, um, we need, we need, we want Christians involved in these, in these sectors, especially if they're going to exist. We can't just, you know, get, go into a tent and go into a corner and do our holy huddle. I think we tried that with a lot of things socially in the 20th century to our detriment. And here we are. I want to ask you. Them suck, man. <laughs> not all. Not all. Not all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, hate now. <laughs> I do want to ask you a theology question because you're because you're a smart theologian. AI, we we there is a conditioning, a language, a linguistic conditioning going on that AI can learn. At the beginning of this discussion, I laid out. I don't think it can learn because that's an image of God thing. That, that's a. Mm. That's an agency thing that it does not have. And we can't impart agency to anything as humanity. Okay. Right. Only God can do that. He already did that. So, but what is the learning that happens in something that doesn't have agency from a theological perspective? Like how, how does, how can an algorithm, is it just combining things that, that, it, that it matches based on cross based on effective, effectively the intersectionality of code or, you know, or, or how do we, how do we dispel this thing? It's becoming self-aware because I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think if bad puppet masters are in charge, it can be used for a whole lot of, a whole lot of bad juju magumbo. But from a theological perspective, what's learning? What is agency? Because I think people are going to start assuming this. And I think we need to speak to that and get ahead of it. Well, the question 
yeah, it gets into a very philosophical discussion theologically about like epistemology and how you mm-hmm. determine truth claims. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you're, I mean, I'm asking questions of my trolls, my atheist trolls on my Facebook page all the time like this, where, where are you getting your standard of absolute truth that says it's wrong for me to go stand out in front of an IVF clinic and try to talk to people about for what the Bible says about fertility. And they're, they, you know, they're, well, it's common sense, you know, whatever. And um, it's not, it's, it's the fact that they have a sense of right and wrong that's been given to them by a conscience that God gave them. Does the AI have a conscience? <laughs> you know, how does the AI make these same sorts of determinations of ethics you know, morality, uh, where, what standard is it appealing to, to make decisions and what to do with that knowledge? It's one thing to have knowledge, but wisdom is the right application of the knowledge. And I think so far it's demonstrated it's good at picking up knowledge, but the wisdom part, I mean, when you're lying about interviews that never happened, that's not (laughs) wisdom. So, so you've got a, you really got to figure, I don't know, I, I'm maybe it's probably above my pay grade <laughs> to answer some of this, but I, I really do think that as Christians and, and people that do do what I'm hoping they do, get involved in these sciences, you know, electronics and coding and whatnot, that they will wrestle through this and try to figure it out. Like, I, I don't think you can, you can impart, you're right, I don't think you can impart that it's an image of God thing. But let's just own that, that you can't just turn it loose and let it go. Like there's got to be somebody who is uh, making the, the moral decisions and the, the, those sorts of things that go along with this and, and you know, put entering the information. And, yeah, but there, there is a there is a morality being programmed. There, there is right. there is a reality being programmed and there is a standard of truth being programmed and all those it's the things coder that's doing it. And that, exactly. It's the coder. So we want good coders because they, we know there are plenty of bad ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me, uh, let me move to a, a, a little different topic, but also in entertainment here. Let me bring this, uh, bring this one up here where we go. There it is. This is from The Guardian and headline, a troubling pattern has has Hollywood given up on pushing for diversity? And really, the byline says is a great summary of the article. Effectively, departures of black female executives from top entertainment and media companies has experts and lawmakers wondering what prompted the exits. Uh, The quote from Tina Shaw. Day, and I'm, I know I'm butchering that name. Anyway, global head of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Russell Reynolds. She says, the constant emotional taxation this role can have can lend itself to burnout. If you layer on top of that the other challenges they've had, clarity around su- what success looks like, unrealistic ideas about what kind of resourcing is necessary, timelines that may be too short for organizational change, this can be a very taxing role for some. The article continues, the departures come as diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI initiatives face even more uncertainty after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled affirmative action in higher education unconstitutional. Though the ruling focused on colleges and universities in the U.S., legal experts predict that DEI initiatives in workplaces could come under scrutiny soon. The question to you, John, is diversity, is DEI, is is that here to stay? I know that there are 
paymasters. We know that BlackRock and Vanguard, the investment firms, that they are open about pushing those things and they tie the the bonuses and other financial incentives for executives and for companies to their adherence and compliance to DEI. But is that bubble beginning to burst? And well, I'm going to start with that question and then I've got two follow-ups that'll that'll be lure centric. So let's start there. Do you think DEI is here to stay? Is it going to blow up? What what do you see from your chair? I think it's probably going to be here and and um, unfortunately, and I think it's because I think God has sent a spirit of stupidity <laughs> upon this entire nation. It's part of a judgment from God. And, you know, I don't, I'm not saying that because I'm a racist. I'm not that. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, it used to be that you put people in those positions because they could demonstrate ability. Right. Uh, they weren't meeting some kind of quota. They were just they were selected by the board of directors or whoever because they could demonstrate proficiency in whatever they're being hired to do. And now uh, when the major factor is no longer proficiency, but now it's uh, skin color or what pronouns you you use or, you know, uh, I don't know which way you put your shoes on in the morning. Who knows? (laughs) Like, seriously, I mean. The, it's a business that you're running. <laughs> and if like Disney's finding out people don't put up with baloney and, and they're You're going to lose money. So yeah. they have to decide whether uh, they're really about making money or whether they're trying to make a statement. Okay. John, let me ask you this question as John speed, CEO of Laura, John speed, pastor, theologian, what is diversity actually? What is diversity? Yeah, just what, what, because the, this, it, it is, well, the DEI uh, initiatives are so prevalent, they impact policy, they impact politics, they, they impact the stories yeah. that we get from Netflix and, and HBO Max or Max or whatever it is now, Amazon, all these kinds of things. We're, we're all being fed this stuff. We, the idea of representation, I mean, the rise of the pink ladies on Amazon, I, I think of, or no, that was Paramount Plus, I'm sorry, where they, you know, they, they put DEI into 50s high school girls and it wouldn't have even existed in that time period. But nonetheless, there it is. So it, it's filtering everything. We have a whole generation. I mean, my kids would effectively grow up in a world where this is this is how the world is. But I don't but when you really think about diversity, it's I think that diversity has nothing to do with skin color or, or, or these kinds of things they're pushing. But from a theological perspective, I mean, God is a creator and he created all kinds of things. Biologically speaking, our skin colors are all a shade of brown. You're brown, John, believe right. it or not. Even yeah. though the glare off of your skull right now is blinding <laughs> right through the internet. The, it's still, it's a brown glare, okay? It's just, it's just not as brown as mine, and I'm not as brown as others, but we're actually all shades of brown. And I'm, that's one of the things I find so amazing is that there are, there are that many shades. I mean, it's just incredible. Yeah. That is more to God's creativity than it is our, our diversity necessarily. But theologically speaking, what is diversity? Because this plays into lore and the content that we have, because I would contend that lore is going to be incredibly diverse, right. but not the way that the progressive ideology would say. I see what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, diversity, you know, you've got, uh, what does the scripture say? Acts 17, verse 11. 
and we're all made for we're all one blood we're the one thing we have that's common is that we're all one blood in the various races you know we're not different it's not like evolution where you've got the guy who's whiter is more evolved than the guy who's darker right that's a mm-hmm. bunch of garbage um but we do have different backgrounds and even the bible does recognize you know there's no jew or gentile slave nor free male nor female it, it recognizes the distinction distinctions it says that you know there's men that that lead their families and lead churches and things of this nature there's women that serve as help meets in, in their respective roles but we have different roles and responsibilities um, but as far as races are concerned we're all we're created all in the image of god and so uh, you've got different talents, different cultures, different abilities. But as far as Christianity is concerned, we have one kingdom that we're all a part of. Mm-hmm. And so in all that diversity, even in the church, you got spiritual gifts that are different, right? First uh, Corinthians 12, Romans 12, um, you know, but it all works together for the glory of God. And so I guess that's where true diversity comes in is where God has given different giftings, different talents, abilities, but we're all doing this. We're all doing our, and you're seeing it already with lore. You've got animators who got incredible gifts that way. You've got uh, the gothics commentary or yeah, commentary documentary that is, um, you know, is its own separate thing and it's dealing with some of these issues. All of this uh, glorifies God in our in our differences. Uh, but yet we have unity because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're able to we're able to pull it off because of that. It's where this DEI stuff's coming in is driving, trying to seek to drive wedges where there's unity. Yeah, and, it's, it's, it, it, yeah. it doesn't create the diversity they think or, or that they advertise. I think some people know exactly what it will create and they do it for those purposes. Right. But then there are many who get caught up in it. Who, Well, that sounds like a good idea, but it ends up the diversity is actually a, um, a, 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 a division and not, and, and not a unity as, as you're talking about. Yeah. If you were to describe you, and you started to do that with, with, mentioned, you know, uh, gothics and, and a couple of the other projects that are on lore. If you were to describe lore's diversity, what projects would you point to as like, you know, Hey, we, we have this and we have this and we have this and we have this and all of them come from, you know, different perspectives or what have you, but here's why they're part of the, they're part of the one kingdom, capital K, and then also part of our lowercase uh, kingdom on lore, so to speak. Sure. Well, you can look at these uh, the, the the content these artists are putting out. Of course, I already mentioned animation versus everything else that's going on. But you also have such you know stuff like um, uh, the Wild Brothers, who are <laughs> they're missionary kids with content from uh, New Guinea, right? That's just a whole other part of the world. And they're showing you the culture and the creation, the natural history of that part of the world. And then you've got like Churchville. <laughs> you, got, you kind of have a travel documentary or, you know, travel reality show on one hand. Then you got Churchville, which is straight up comedy. And it's willing to even laugh at our foibles in the evangelical church, right? Yeah. It's willing to point fun at the stupid things that we do. Um, that's, you know, looking at ourselves doing that. I mean, that's real diversity when you're willing 
to pick on yourself. They get mad at you because they think you're picking on other people. What do you do when they're picking on the church? Right. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Gothics, who was canceled for suggesting that it wasn't necessarily racist because you wanted to see Ariel uh, cast as somebody other than being black, like being white or, or whatever. Right. And so you know, it's, it's not necessarily racist to say, I don't think a black Ariel works. Um, yeah. That's real diversity, especially in this culture where they demand, you know, what, you know, whatever, you know, it's, it's cast everything differently than what we're used to seeing. So yeah, I would point to those. In our, last couple, in our last couple of minutes here, what is, and maybe it's, I, I know we're, we're still in wave one of, of some of the releases and some things that are still funding, but I always ask because maybe there's a project that's, that's just under the surface. We haven't quite rolled out yet or something, uh, a nugget that you can, that you can uh, put on the table here for, for the viewers and for lure subscribers, something that you're really excited about that, Hey, we haven't, we haven't heard much about this yet, but this is, this is coming down the pike. Is there something like that you can give us before we go? Yeah. Um, well, I'm not sure if it's been mentioned before. I've watched all the podcasts that we have out, but PKs, um, mm. that, that one there, talk about diversity. You've got diversity within one family. It's a sitcom where you've got a pastor uh, dealing with his kids and um, it's a multi-ethnic family and uh, they're dealing with all kinds of tensions within the church Uh you know, I'm excited about that one because uh, Jason Farley is the primary writer for that. He's a brilliant writer. And um, I, I've seen the pilot for this, and uh, I think it's something people are going to love. I, I yeah. think they're, they're, it's going to rank high for for especially pastors, families, <laughs> and yeah. for everybody in the church. There'll be a lot to laugh at there. One of the actors in it, Victor Sarmiento, um, I interviewed him for a lower podcast, which will be coming out soon. And we got to talk a lot about, about the PKs and, and, and his part in, in the pilot and everything, and also his story, which is really compelling. Uh, so yeah, I would agree that, that I think has a lot of, has, that has a lot of a promise. And I don't mean that in the potential way. I mean, like that's, there's something good there. I haven't seen the pilot, but from what I've heard that that'd be one of the shows that I'm like, Hey, I, I want to see that. Cause I think that's yeah, definitely. entertaining is all get out. Yeah. All right. We are right up against it here. So that's going to be it for this episode. John speed. Thank you for being on this episode of lower entertainment podcast. And for those of you watching, thanks for spending some time with us. Remember, Please subscribe to Lure if you haven't already. L-O-O-R.tv, L-O-O-R.tv. You can subscribe right now and fund the movies that Holly wouldn't. For John Speed, I'm Andrew Southwick. This has been the Lure Entertainment Podcast. We'll see you next time. <laughs>